Welcome back to Highly Respected. I'm your host, Scott Greer, and today we're going to have another incredible episode, just like always. So sit back and enjoy the content we're going to have today. So obviously, I have a ton of cognitively questions that I'm going to have to go through today, but I'm going to have one big topic we're going to discuss, and that topic I'm going to discuss is are losing the cognitive elite of society and the causes for that and the trends that we're seeing with both the young cognitive elite. And we, there was an incredibly disturbing poll that came out by uh, Harvard Harris, so it's like a repeatable poll, and Chris Rufo highlighted it, and it was saying about the teachings of whether whites are oppressors. And 79% of people from ages 18 to 24 believe that whites are oppressors and that should be taught in universities. And that should be a mandated uh, lesson for them. Now, most of the poll was concerned with Israel and stuff. And some people may be excited about, well, I think most of the listeners would be excited about uh, how young people are reacting towards Israel because there's hardly any support for Israel and uh overwhelmingly support for Palestine among young people. But the thing we're going to focus on is this, or go off on my tangent, is the 79% of people who are anti-white among 18 to 24s. And there's been a lot of evidence showing this, that if you go and ask most young people, it's like, do you believe in white privilege and all these things, generally you get a majority. So this is not uh, you know, a lone factor. This isn't just like, okay, this is just one poll. Is this, is this found in others? No, this is something that we've been, this has been a trend we've been seeing among polls. And obviously a reason that you're seeing this is that that demographic is far less white than it was 20 years ago, far less white. And, you know, the under 18 demographic is almost majority non-white. I, th- I forget which age it's majority non-white i know it's under 10 it has to be under uh, majority non-white because we hit majority non-white births in 2012 or 2011 early early 2010s so that's been over 10 years so um and obviously there's been more immigrants coming in with bringing in their kids so yes it would obviously be under 10 so i think I forget the age cutoff for when it's majority non-white. I saw it was like under 16, but I would say at least under 14. It's uh, majority non-white already. So we're only a few uh, years away from majority non-white under 18. It might already be considering with some of the people who are accounted as white, you know, the men of demographic and others. So that, yeah, it's a much more diverse demographic. And this de- demographic, uh, the diversity is surprisingly not, not fond of white people. And they feel that white people owe them something. And that's reflected in the polls. And it's also a factor that young white women are far more liberal than their older cohorts. Polls show this all the time, is that young white women, or it's generally women with these polls, are much, much more liberal. But young white men are about as conservative as their older peers. Uh, the difference is, is they're a much smaller minority. They're much uh, uh, hounded by the rest of their demographic. Uh, some people say when it's like base zoomers, they're meaning that young white male demographic and saying that they're experiencing this stuff more than boomers and Gen Xers and millennials. And thus they are more right wing than their elders, which I think that's, um, I think there's a point there. Uh, we don't quite have, 
the uh, studies to 100% prove it. But I do think that a lot of these young Zoomers, if they're surrounded, if they have a problem with what's around them, they're more likely to take radical right-wing views than, say, their elders who were surrounded by a sea of white, everyone was normal, and then they interpret the world in the way they grew up with. Because, like, boomers, they still think, you know, kids... Well, there's always the problems with kids, but they always imagine it as like the demographics of when they were going to school in the 60s and 70s. And it's no longer like that. And even for someone my age, it's the demographics are much different. I mean, my school was very white. Uh, my high school was very white growing up. And, you know, it's under it's not so much white anymore. It's a lot more Asian. It's still a safe demographics, but it's very different even today, and even in my hometown, you know, there's a little bit more diversity. So they're experiencing, uh, you know, diversity a lot. Now, some of them are assimilating to it, uh, but if you look at the views of a lot of these kids, you know, it's different. But it, but even for the younger crowd, you know, who are all into distant and right stuff, they're all into rap music and uh, using some of the Ebon AAVE uh, lingo. Um, but then they have uh, very radical right-wing views. So that aside, I think, you know, there's not saying that all Zoomers or Gen Zers are uh, cringe and libtarded. I'm just saying that uh, the majority are, but there's the ones who are not. I think there is a point to saying that the ones who are not are more keyed than the ones who would have been conservative millennials or Gen Xers. So I... Um, I think there's a point to that. I don't know if I 100% agree with it, but I think there's something there. But outside of that, I think that's showing how much they're losing. And if you go to, you know, the polling are the views of college grads from the elite schools. They're overwhelmingly liberal in a way that it's not like, oh, you know, 50% say they're liberal. And then there's a quarter that say conservative. No, it's like 70% who say they're liberal. You know, 25% that say they're moderate and then like 5% that say they're conservative. And you can see this in Harvard. I was looking at the um, study of Harvard classes of 2002 and it's 68% progressive say they're progressive, either very progressive or moderately progressive. And then it's like another 20% that say they're moderate and then only 6% say they're conservative. So you have 90 over 90% of your students not wanting to identify as conservative. And this is found at other Ivy League schools. And this is also being found at the, at the ballot box when Republicans are doing very poorly among college-educated whites. And that's the number one demographic trend that we have to worry about because, you know, before Trump, we were always worried that, you know, demographics is destiny. We're going to be doomed by, by the browning of America. In a lot of cases, that is true. I mean, reason why we've lost California is because, you know, it's majority non-white. So that's happening. But we are winning, surprisingly winning Hispanics more with Trumpism because now it's almost roughly 40% of Hispanics were voting Republican, which under Romney, it was like 27% when he ran in 2012. So we're getting more Hispanic voters and that, but we're doing poorly among college-educated whites. And that's what's uh, that's what's driving a lot of these trend, you know, these disappointing results in elections is that we're not winning over enough of them. And you have to wonder, it's like, what is driving them away or why are we losing these people? 
And I think the easiest question or way to answer this, and this is not maybe what we want to hear, but the right is extremely unattractive to a lot of smart people. And I'm not just saying this is distant right. I'm just saying what the mainstream right is. And the mainstream right reflects a lot of our views. I don't think it's because the just the mainstream right is talking about, you know, uh, great replacement and anti-white racism and critical race theory and that stuff that's really dissuading people. I think it's just more the carnival aspect of Republicans and a lot of how embarrassing the public figures are. Now, I'm not, this is not an anti-Trump because I think Trump himself, a lot of people are, you know, upset with him, but there's something so entertaining and that pulls you in about him. You know, he does have that magic charisma about him, a different type of magic from magic Americans, but he does have that cult of personality with him that drives enough voters. And I think with him, you're able to compensate with some of the loss in college-educated whites with greater turnout among non-college-educated whites. And also you're getting a greater number of Hispanics. And, you know, 2020, you know, race, um, if it hadn't been for, you know, the loose mail-in ballot rules and some other shenanigans, you know, he would have been president. And people thought it was going to be a blowout, a historic blowout, like Republicans were just going to get destroyed. Uh, you know, it'd be a, they'd have a super majority in Congress and none of that happened. And it's because Trump drives out turnout from demographics that would otherwise not show up to elections. And he's able to bring that in. So he's able to compensate for the loss in college UK whites. And I think uh, with him, he, you know, there is like some downsides to Trump. But he was able to offer enough upsides to offset those concerns. Because while you're, you will say, okay, well, this is a less repeatable party. You know, it's losing some of the cognitive elite. But at the same time, it's now a party that's, you know, putting America first foreign policy wise. It's, you know, no longer about the stupid wars. It's being much more sensible on economic policy and trade than the Republicans. You know, it's not just worshiping big business and corporations and allowing them to do. And obviously, Trump made the party far more better on immigration than it was prior to him running for office. You know, him prior to running for office, there were still like major Republicans advocating for a full amnesty, like granting amnesty to all illegal aliens. No one does that publicly anymore. There are a few. There's uh, Maria Elvira uh, Salazar. I might have gotten one of her names wrong. But she's in Florida. She's a congresswoman. She's still advocating for a full amnesty, but she is a she represents a tiny minority in the party. No Republicans want to do that. Even amnesty boosters like Lindsey Graham no longer do that. And Lindsey Graham has actually gotten a lot better on immigration. He still sucks on a lot of other issues, obviously, foreign policy, of course. But he's gotten a lot better on immigration because he's one of these guys advocating for really tough border security, you know, serious immigration reforms and Congress in exchange for giving money to you uh, for Ukraine and all Republicans seem united in that fact like what Republicans are demanding to um, currently with Democrats and their negotiations would have been unthinkable just a few years ago they would have said nothing is worth uh, risking our national security you had several Republicans when Trump was in office and and I think this is early 2019 who were attacking Trump for using defense appropriations to go to building the wall. And they're like, you can't risk our national security for this. You can't do that. That's terrible. 
Fast forward almost five years later, and the entire Republican caucus is united behind the act that we're going to hold national security funding hostage, or for not really national security, but Ukraine funding hostage, in order to get serious things done on the border. So they're much better on immigration. And now you have major Republicans who are advocating for immigration restriction. You have uh, certain House congressmen, um, House representatives who want to have a full immigration moratorium. So they're much better. And also they're much better on addressing anti-white racism, great replacement, all that. So the Republican Party on the issues is far better on this. And this is due to Trump. But the other issue is that at the same time, Republicans have become more clownish than they were in the early 2010s. And in the early 2010s, you know, people always like mock the Tea Party as fanatics and radicals and look at these goobers and stuff. But if you compare like Tea Party stuff to what we have today, you'd almost think it's like a nice up, uh, upscale country club <laughs> compared to the scene we have today because there is this music video that came out and on Twitter that a lot of people were mocking because it probably went too far and the content farm realized that this had gone too far so they had to push back against it but they had the content farm was loving these rap videos made by these people before and this video was a Christmas themed uh, rap by MAGA Latinos or Trump Latinos and they had a uh, MAGA housewife who uh, had uh, giant knockers in the video, and she's in a you know an elf costume of some sort, a, a rather suggestive elf costume, and they're just like there, and they're like Latinos rapping and stuff, and they're like uh, most people are like this is a little bit too far, but then you know the same people have been loving Forgiato uh, blows stuff, who is like a MAGA rapper with face tattoos, surprisingly white. And Forgiato Blow had done a rap song with Marjorie Taylor Greene about how awesome she is. And, uh, you know, and people were like, this is great. And you have like people like Michael Flynn, like this is the future of our country. And you'd still have those figures who have a lot of sway among the MAGA base posting this stuff. And you see this and you're just like... To a smart person who's like, you know, maybe a little upset with Woke, they're just like seeing this and like... um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. This might be a little bit too much for me to to want to jump into. And they're, you know, they'll just say they're moderate and maybe they'll silently vote for Republican or maybe they'll vote Democrat. Uh, but they're really turned off by this stuff. And there's just like other things like the content farm had, uh, you know, a real week last week. Uh, there was a stuff uh, talking about UFOs or demons. Um Maybe you believe that, but I don't know if that's uh, one of the most important issues to be discussing. Uh, you had these guys who fell for a Pizzagate, or this is definitely a 4chan op of some sort, or some type of op where somebody was uploading these images, these bizarre AI-generated images of kids with pizza onto Etsy, and they were selling them for like $10,000. And it's like clearly, it was all by the same account. It is all clearly a troll because, you know, if if there is an international pedophile network, they would know not to do this because they would know, oh, this is going to set people off. But the ones who are going to do this are going to be the the uh, trolls who are wanting to, you know, play tricks on their own crowd. And then the, um, uh, but the content farm went nuts over it. Uh, the content farm got fooled by news saying that they had found uh, several thousand uh, fake ballots in Georgia, which 
you know, it was just one headline. And then the story is just, uh, well, they're like, I'm not saying that like they wouldn't find that stuff, but I'm just saying that actual story was not that Brian Kemp had, it was normal process. There was not the type of stuff that the elections being overturned, unfortunately, but everyone fell for it and just kept promoting it. Um, there was one thing that was not quite bad, but the amount of attention towards it and the story around it is even if you, I think most people would agree with what this guy did, but I think if you're like, well, like I said, a member of the Convalete, if you're a member or you're like a young, college-educated, smart person, you're once again going to find conservatism distasteful or just like, why are they obsessed with this? But there was a story about the guy, Michael Cassidy, who is a Mississippi, he's run for office in Mississippi. He's been a fairly serious candidate. I remember they had a runoff primary in 2022, and he was threatening the incumbent. Uh, he lost, though. He, he ran for House of Delegates, and I think he lost, but I think he was running in a Democrat district. Out, uh, outside of that, he, you know, drove up to Iowa to cut off, to knock down this uh, Satan statue that had been placed in the Iowa uh, Capitol. And this Satan statue is really stupid. It, it is, it is, it is ridiculous that we allow this stuff to be placed because it just it doesn't make it. You know, outside of the occult meanings and other dark things, it makes you just look stupid as like as like a body that is representing America. You know, you're trying to create this image of you know authority and other things. And then you have like a Baphomet statue that looks like, you know, a 16-year-old edgelord created, which it was created by these Reddit lords. I mean, the Satanism religion or the Satanic temple is not a real religion. These are just Reddit trolls. They're losers. You shouldn't even acknowledge that they're not a real religion. And they should just say that like this is teenage, you know, trying to be edge lords. No one, this is stupid. You're making your state capital look like a clown. <laughs> Once again, we're going to be using clown show, but it just makes it look like absolutely idiotic. So it shouldn't even be there. And it's the real answer to this is not believing that these are real Satanists taking over, that these are Reddit trolls that we shouldn't even acknowledge as a religion. But the content farm demands that these guys are in on the satanic elite and uh this is a sign that the satanic elite is taking over iowa when it's really just you know the iowa lawmakers couldn't figure out a way to keep this from being shown in the capitol or figuring out a solution to it so they were getting you know worked up and then a guy drove all the way from mississippi to knock it over which a lot of people were like saying like oh we finally have people standing up but it wasn't like a random person from iowa going and knocking it over. It was a guy I drove all the way up from Mississippi. It's a pretty long drive um, from from there. And he drove all the way up and he's like a political candidate. He's active on Twitter who had to knock it over. It wasn't just like a random Iowan who was really fed up with this. It was somebody who was from Twitter who was fed up with this and they drove up. And a part of it is he, um, not saying it was like what he did was wrong, but I am saying it's clearly he was... Uh, trying to build some clout but it's you know sometimes if you're doing building clout for uh, a not so bad purpose it's not the worst thing in the world but it was clearly a clout building exercise and he built this and uh you know people thought this is like the most important event of the world and i'm like you know with all the things going on in the world like i am not bothered by it i don't think the guy should be arrested or charged with it because at the end of the day like 
this is like a stupid thing. It's it's obviously going to offend the majority of Iowans. It's not. It's something that the vast majority of Iowans don't want there. It's really something that nobody wants there, except for this tiny number of Reddit trolls who are doing it to try to own the Christians. And so, like him knocking it over, whatever. Just give him a fine. Let him have. Uh, let him have his uh, you know notoriety, and everyone goes home and. They try to figure out a way to not to keep these uh, satanic statues in. But it's just like how an autistic reading of the law where it's like, oh, we have to have every religious expression situated when there's, you know, holiday displays that would have been fine throughout American history. You know, I think it's it was in response to them having a manger scene. Most people would just say that's like a part of a holiday tradition. You know, this is something that's celebrated by the vast majority of Iowans. You know, you should grant that higher status than what what Reddit trolls are trying to do to own the vast majority of Iowans. There are ways to interpret the law to not allow troll religions to do that. Because I would say this, like, if it is like a genuine religion, it is probably going to be tough to say, well, you can't have it. If it's like Hindus wanting to put up a, a display and they're genuine Hindus, by the law that we have in America, they would probably have to put that up. Now, maybe we can change that or something, but by the law. And I think that's a reasonable interpretation of law. But if it's like, you know, this is essentially the equivalent of flying spaghetti monster shit. And if there's like now a flying spaghetti monster thing, everyone would realize that that's ridiculous. And the only reason why they're not doing a flying spaghetti monster because they want to, no one's going to be trolled by that. They're just going to be like, what is this stupid thing here? But then if they put Satan up, then they're obviously offended. It's about to make it more edgy than possible. But outside of that is like people were really fixated on it and like this is the most important thing in the world and it's like we are finally uh, taking on Satan when it's really just taking on Reddit trolls and to a you know person who's you know worried about the things going on elsewhere in the world you know they're gonna be like um, um, aren't you guys like a little concerned about other things <laughs> shouldn't you be concerned about other things but the content farm demanded this. This was a big day on the content farm. And then you had, obviously, the MAGA Latinos and other things. But the more important thing from the content farm is how the content farm responded to a kid, a white kid with a 1460 SAT who had tons of great extracurriculars not getting accepted into, I think it was Cornell. It was like one of these Ivy League schools. And him realizing it's because he's white. And there's an account, A Muse, who generally posts a lot of fake news and stuff. It's like standard, huge, huge content farm um, farmer. Uh, <laughs> really big ag industry lives on on Twitter. And this guy was like, this guy, this kid should just accept that white males are not going to get into college. And it's time to, you know, go into plumbing and start your own business and make a million dollars that way. And of course, this went viral, had thousands and thousands of likes and a few other people challenge the notion that this is the way to go about things. But this does show, it's like this, you know, and a lot of the, you know, well-off people who, you know, college-educated, they're experiencing a lot of this anti-white racial hatred firsthand and who's getting denied jobs, how, you know, you know, the best jobs are being doled out. You know, they're the ones experiencing this stuff. And I think they want this solved within, you know, university admissions and and you know, corporate hiring practices to not be so anti-white. But then they're going to see the response from conservatives and it's like, oh, you have a law degree from Penn? It's time to be a plumber. 
And they'll be like, how does this reflect my life? And that's like the whole content farm angle is just to tell people, no matter their situation, no matter where they are in life, is to just be a plumber or and not saying and I've always said like skilled trades is a decent job if you're not wanting to go to school. If you're, you know, school's not your thing. You know, that's fine. You can still make a decent living, but it's also not the way to, you know, have an impact on our society or not to have the type of positive impact because there's this guy account oil fan oil field rando who generally posts okay stuff and he's posting uh you know he responded to darren Beatty making fun of this and this guy's like actually how we went is becoming a plumber and starting your own plumbing business and this is how we do this dozen plumbers and the guy had spent the entire weekend talking about how outrageous it is that they're removing this confederate monument from arlington and you have to say, well, how is it getting removed? It's being removed by people who went to the best schools, who are now in a position of power to remove it and have the legal means to ensure that there's no real uh, argument against it. And let's say that everyone's just starting a plumbing business. How are you stopping these statues being replaced? Actually, the people who are in the skills, who are in these uh, blue collar trades and running their own contracting business are the ones removing it. So it's like, you know, the people at good schools who are liberals, they order the tradesmen to remove these statues and the plumbing business that has a problem with it. They can just stand aside and, you know, you know, shake their head. And that's it. There's no way to stop that if you're just focused on um, serving the, uh, the people in power, fixing their toilets. And a lot of people advocate for this, went to college themselves and work a white collar job. I have to I really have to acknowledge this is that a ton of the ruralites who argue with me, they all went to college. And sometimes I'll admit it. There's one time I told a guy, made fun of him. I was like, maybe you didn't have a high enough SAT to go into school. And then he's like, I had a high SAT and I'm actually an engineer. And it's like, okay, you're not even blue collar. You probably live in a suburb. This is just all fantasy you concoct online. But they, the advice that it's like the whole content farm angle of the right is predicated on this is the only solution. And this can be any time. I think one time uh, there's a user, Peachy Keenan, if you guys are familiar with her, she was talking about what her kids should do if you know they're having high test scores, great grades, and what they should do. And literally every reply is like, make sure they don't go to, go to school. Get them in a trade and they'll be a millionaire in no time. And everyone's like, this is guys are just buying Bugattis, uh, you know, left and right if they're a plumber. And it's like, they can make a decent living, but decent living is living in a area where you can make 50 to 60K and buy a home and that stuff. You know, it, it's an okay living and depending on where you're living. But the making like six figures and stuff, that's like requires you to live in a big city where higher cost of living and maybe it's not like where you want to live or you're running your own business, or, you know, it's really a lot of hustle. You're working a lot. It's not, uh, it's not quite the uh, path to, you know, you're not just like cruising along and making 200K. It's like you're really, really busting your ass either running a business, and you're probably running a business in a, you know, an area like uh, Philadelphia or uh, like a major city. And that's how you make a lot of money. But you can still make a good living and stable income with you can afford a home and you know help raise a family with it but you're not going to be ultra wealthy with it uh, it it would be a middle class income but uh, it requires you to live in a certain area and something else but it's like it's just all depending on what you want to do 
But that aside, it is deeply unappealing to people who with college degrees and have their own issues. And then the only solution is like uh, become a welder. And it's like, you know, maybe that's not their their aptitude isn't situated for that. They have all the things that they want to do in life. And it's just like here, it's like there's only one solution and it's the solution to everything. And and they also just don't understand that there's a lot of other things to go into that to have a, you know, to be well off into that as well. And so it's just not a real solution, but it is just a way of conservatives accepting surf status. Now, there's one other content farm angle that I forgot that they went over, and it was uh, posting gay porn all over the timeline because there was a Senate staffer who uh, was getting railed out in uh, a Senate hearing room, and conservatives just couldn't get enough of showing this clip. They showed it constantly. 20 they showed it all the time and then they were trying to find these other gross photos of this guy being in ridiculous outfits and who he's being with and stuff and it's like you know i don't want to really want to see this but and people were like why is there gay porn all over the timeline it's like they've been doing this for three years because we've been seeing like drag queens shaking their ass or that's been that was tons of content in 2022 and early 2023 there's all the content over uh Dylan Mulvaney and all this stuff and it was like constant constant like gay porn and they love showing these horrible images from these books that are in some school libraries where it's like dudes sucking each other's dicks and it's like why are you showing this 24 7 and even uh you know DeSantis brought out the the illustrations at a debate and it's like why are you bringing this out please don't show this stuff and it's, you could just describe it. You don't need to show it. But they love this, like, sharing gay porn. And then some people realized it was, like, maybe a bit too much to be showing this constantly. And so there was, like, content farmers who gained some self-awareness. They're like, why is there so much gay porn on this, on the timeline? And it was, like, the same people who had been posting it nonstop when the story broke. And you're just... Um, you know, it's, like, the type of content... I think, like, liberals would not go hog wild for this stuff in a way that conservatives would. And it is just kind of like a, a vulgar way of going about politics. It's like we were so excited about seeing the video. And it's like, you know, maybe in a, just like a still from the video and heavily blurred. And that's all, that's all people needed. And you didn't need to constantly share it. But people wanted to constantly share it. So this is like an epic week for the content farm. Which is all driven by engagement as well, uh, engagement metrics, which it makes people just start believing. You know, people want to just say inflammatory. I don't really like the term inflammatory because it's always like saying like, "Oh, you're against immigration." That's inflammatory, but it's always like trying to have the most hyperbolic, hysteric rhetoric possible to get more engagement, and people think they're winning through getting more likes and uh, and retweets. But in fact, you're you're not quite. Uh, winning in the way you think you do, you are you're just uh, getting more engagement and but the pursuit of engagement is what drives a lot of right-wing content more than actually changing the country because we do now with the new elon twitter there is a we're now able to get like incredible levels of engagement we wouldn't have gotten before and that's what's driving a lot of influencers just to keep, you know, posting stuff that a lot of it's not true or just fake news because and they can make money off it. And so people just uh, have an engagement metric 
mindset when they come to posting. And this stuff does get, you know, a lot of traffic and stuff, but is it actually winning over smart people? And I would probably say no. <laughs> I think a thing, you know, if you look back at what some of the old dissident right, alt-right was, it was about trying to reach intelligent people who were put off by the Tea Party and a lot of the goober conservatism. And I was trying to put a smart edge on this stuff. And it's like saying, like, look, you know, these are taboo subjects we're discussing. We're discussing them in a reasonable manner. You know, the people articulating this stuff are very smart, intelligent people. You know, they're not just, you know, people living in trailer parks and having no teeth. Uh, that stuff. But now today it's like, actually, we are people living in a trailer park. We have no teeth. We're believing it. We're the most gullible people imaginable. And we're thinking like uh, the UFOs that have taken over our country are demons and they're um, they're putting gay porn on, on, on. And the only way to resist them is to keep posting gay porn on our timelines. And it's just like a total, total clownishness. And we've now I think a thing is that such so many of our ideas are now accepted by the mainstream. Right. Is that the dissonant right takes on a clownish aspect itself. Because we're now able to participate more in the mainstream, right? But at the level we are, we're not, uh, we're, we're just, in order, the funny thing is, is that we have to become more clownish in order to get more Twitter engagement. At the same time, I think we're losing, we're not winning over some of the people that we were winning when we were smaller. And, you know, just a more... I guess, intellectual or highbrow. You know, there were some problems with that. But, you know, the people who were getting and reading this stuff would have been people who were put off by the idiocy of Glenn Beck's show. You know, the Glenn Beck, you know, that was like a big problem for the early alt-right is like how stupid Glenn Beck is and like all these stupid theories he has and stuff. And now today, like we are, we would love Glenn Beck's style and stuff and the way he talks and like this, you know, wild conspiracy theories and wild stuff that's just like total catnip for the lowest common denominator of audience and we're not going you're not going to be attracting the cognitive elite with the you know the content that people you know with damar hamlin body double content but you are going to get a lot of engagement from that so people choose engagement over reaching the type of people you want to reach and it is a it is a major problem because in you know this isn't the best thing in the world but a lot of these people you know middle class and upper middle class people are very status conscious maybe they shouldn't but they are but most people I mean people that's like a fact in human nature you know you don't like to associate with people who you perceive as uncool you know you learn this in high school it's like you don't want to be perceived as one of the losers or hang out with the uncool people and I'm not saying working class or uncool or losers I'm just saying. People want to associate with those of a certain type. And, you know, by saying you're conservative today, it's not simply just saying, you know, politics you're associated with. You really are just saying, I'm a clown. <laughs> I like clown show. I like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I like Bobert. I like George Santos. I like all these people. Uh, I don't, I'm just totally into clown antics and this is what I'm about. And it is a very low status identity. Now, some ways it shouldn't be, you know, in, in some of the ways that they say it's a low status identity, it's because they're 
you know, arcing for viewpoints we agree with. It's like it's not low status to be anti-immigration. It's not low status to question anti-white racism. And it's not low status to talk about the Great Replacement. Because these things are 100% true. And when we argue about these points, we're not going about demonic UFOs or posting, you know, talking about Wayfair or Pizzagate or any of that stuff. We are presenting facts that they try to hide. We're presenting data. We are also talking about the day-to-day lives of people that they experience. You know, it's like, you know, because of this anti-white mindset that's taken over, I, you know, all these people now have to undergo this ridiculous indoctrination at the workplace or their university or their school. So this is stuff, and it's, so it addresses people in, in, the, in their daily lives and their experience in their daily lives. This is not just something that they learned about on the internet and, you know, it's some fantasy that they go down, like the, uh, you know, QAnon stuff. This is something that's very uh, pertinent to their lives, and we have facts, data, and truth on our side here. And you can win over smart people with this, and there's a lot of smart people into this stuff. And sometimes you do have to have a, a you know, a higher IQ to be into this. But, I mean, and it doesn't, you don't even, I actually don't want to, I want to take that back. You don't need a, need a higher IQ, you just need to be reasonably intelligent and have some common sense and be able to question what the system tells you. That's all you need. And it can attract people who are plumbers and it can attract corporate lawyers and it can attract all different types. And it's not something that you would feel that's lowering your status or that you're joining a carnival by taking up these beliefs. But in a lot of ways, the one of the problems with Trump, I don't with the after effects of Trump, I don't want to say this is a problem with Trump, but it's more of the people who try to imitate Trump, is that they ditch this, this smart policies and the great policies and the America first aspect of Trump. They ditch that in just favor of the carnival aspect, the entertainment factor. And you could see this with the rap videos of that it's racially ambiguous people rapping and talking about like this white woman's tits and stuff like the latest Trump Latinos video. And it's just the clown aspect of it. And Trump, you know, there was the entertainment value, you know, he's a reality TV star and he was able to use that to captivate people and generate media attention and people just couldn't get enough of him. You know, that's why they're obsessed with him. But at the same time, he was arguing for very solid policies that we needed to be made, um, that need to be put out there in the mainstream. And I think when we thought the type of people that would be inspired by Trump is that they would be a more, I guess, uh, low-key style or more uh, buttoned-up style of Trump, and but they would still have those same policies. But instead, what we're getting are clowns that would totally support amnesty if they could make a rap video about it and get higher engagement or that they feel that this is, could be the way to defeat the UFO demons or rescue the mole children. And so these people are like, but as long as the clown aspect is there, they're totally fine with it. And so it's more the carnival aspect that they're into rather than the politics of it. And I think that that's becoming an effect of the GOP where, you know, on Capitol Hill, all these battles that are occurring that a lot of people on our side accept. And even with like getting rid of Kevin McCarthy, you know, there's arguments to be made there. And Kevin McCarthy does suck, but the guy replaced him. Mike Johnson also sucks. And Mike Johnson, unlike Kevin McCarthy, can't raise money. And he even has less control over his caucus than McCarthy. 
Now you may say that's a good thing because McCarthy was maybe not controlling the caucus for good, but like Mike Johnson is just not a leader and he's like a goofball. But even when you're seeing these battles on Capitol Hill, they are not over our policies of dissent and right policies. Rarely are because, as I was saying earlier, one of the positive elements in the GOP is that they're all united on getting serious things done on immigration. Even cucks like Lindsey Graham, John Cornyn, and James Lankford, you know, who are horrible on the issue and on immigration and on in the Senate, but they're you know, all united on wanting to get things done on immigration. So it's not about that. It's just about like spending cuts. It's about like Tea Party stuff, but it's done in a type of Trumpian style. So it convinces the base that these guys are the America Firsters fighting against the America Last establishment when in fact it's just people trying to get more engagement on social media and trying to gen up more uh, donations from uh, some, you know, small-time donors or I don't know if small-time donors is like small donations uh, for their antics. It's just about claiming antics to get more media attention rather than actually fighting for America First principles. Because, we, you know, America First was not about like this stupid Tea Party stuff that Paul Ryan was advocating for. And now you see that these guys are advocating for Paul Ryanism when it comes to like economic economic stuff and spending and taxes, but they're doing it in a more Trumpian style and it convinces the base that they're actually fighting for America first stuff, which it's not the case. But they provide entertainment and that's what's important. They're not getting anything done. But that's what unfortunately I see is happening a lot with conservatism and the right in general. I'm worried that this may happen is that we're really going to have a separate a split society and what's going to happen is that the people who are in charge are going to be almost uniformly liberal maybe a few moderates who are just like uh the there these kids are too anti-israel uh something of that sort that we don't really care about you know that may uh stir their emotions and but essentially they're able to rule without any question and then there's a little separate society for the people, the serfs, who, you know, there's an, you know, conservative entertainment complex is there to make them pretend that by being a plumber, they're going to take over the country in a collapse. And, you know, they're entertained with gay porn and mole children theories. And as long as they're entertained online and feeling that they're doing something, you know, they'll be content with what they have. But they all eventually accept surf status because they're not going to college. They're moving to the middle of nowhere. They're just, um, you know, focused on whatever, on doing whatever in the uh, in a rural area. And they'll be cut off from actually impacting the rest of the country. And really, the people who are going to the elite schools and are making these decisions are going to have free reign to do whatever they want. And all that the opponents can do is just post online in their own little spheres and post conspiracy theories to each other. And the uh, the ball rolls on in, in, a, in a direction that is not in, not in the direction the right wants. It'll keep going in a left-wing direction. And that's how you would have in our society is that people, and people will just accept that because a lot of this stuff with the moving towards just like don't go to school, move to a rural area, retreat from this stuff. Uh, everything, everything is about retreat. 
And it's about kind of, and one thing about America is that everyone's like, it's on the point of collapse is that, you know, people are revolution. It's like, it's not on the point of revolution because people can just carve out their own little space. Sometimes these spaces are, you know, very positive. You know, it's like you can form your own little community and you can have your own values in that community. Uh, you just have to accept that there's limitations to what that community can do. And it'll be very small scale. And you're going to have to ensure that community isn't very threatening to, uh, the system but you can have your little carved out space in america but there's even the carved out space where just people retreat to their man cave and watch you know the nfl or play video games and that becomes their little space to deal with the decline around them and you know for a lot of people if they don't have influence and power or, you know they don't have the capability of actually influencing decisions this is all that's left to them and meanwhile, all the lawyers and all the corporations are all extremely left wing and they're all moving in a certain direction against these people. And, you know, the right has no way of resisting these changes, as we can see with these monument removals. It's like if you want to complain about what's going on in Arlington and you're all just like stuck in blue collar jobs, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, if you don't have any lawyers on your side, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's like the same. It's like we're protesting and then we're getting arrested for the protests. It's like J6ers. It's like, well, who's going to represent you in court and help you, you know, defeat your charges? It's like the same with, like, look at Ricky Vaughn. Like, imagine. Now, Ricky Vaughn may be going to jail, but he does have, like, good lawyers on his side that may prevent him from jail and that have helped him mainstream his case and to make his case a cause for all conservatives. And that comes from winning over certain, you know, conservative elites to help him out. Now, if he had just said, you know, fuck it, I'm going to defend myself. And he would have had, you know, a, a terrible attorney. He would have had no uh, public support for his case. And he would have likely gotten the maximum treatment. And he couldn't have appealed his case. And he would definitely be going to jail. And that would just be something you'd have to, uh, to deal with. But the fact that he's able to get competent lawyers and, you know, you know, a lot of people on his side through public uh, public relations, I guess you would call it, then he's able to help his case. And same with, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse as well. It's like, you know, if everyone's a plumber, you know, if you're in Kyle Rittenhouse's case, who are you going to, who are you going to help get, who are you going to help raise money for you? And who are you going to get to represent you in court? And this is all dependent on people having, you know, degrees of wealth and power in our society. And you really do have to win over smart young people who realize that there's something wrong in our society. And really what we're winning over, I think in a lot of, it's different from, you know, seven, six, seven years ago, is we're winning over uh, not so bright people in middle age who are, you know, going through some troubles, you know, maybe they've got divorced or maybe they're not happy with the way the trajectory of their life is. And then they you know, vent that that uh, frustration into their politics and their politics begin to re reflect that. And, you know, politics is a reflection of frustrations and disappointments and your own issues. But that type of politics that they're creating of this middle-aged, unsuccessful or maybe not so successful person who, you know, is divorced, dad or some sort... And it creates a very unappealing politics for smart young people because they don't want to be associated with the divorced plumber energy, <laughs> you know, uh, that's not really the politics they want. And also these divorced plumbers really f fucking hate young people. 
they hate college-educated types, and it becomes a, a real resentment against anyone with an education and anyone who's like thinks they're smarter than me. You think you know some big words. I got some big words for you. Fuck you. You know, that's like a real thing about it. And yeah, it is like it's not very appealing. And generally what their arguments for everything is is like fantasy, delusion, and conspiracy theories. It's like nothing... Uh, you know, there's no reasonable analysis here of what like the problems are actually facing our country. And so that's because, but it's very entertaining. It provides, uh, you know, soothing balm for people who get off work and want something and escape from what they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And so they gravitate towards it. But the other big problem with it is that these people aren't going to be around forever. And so if your main audience, and that's actually the thing about the right is that a lot of people... Still, a lot of the people who are posting and stuff are still very young. I think it's a lot fewer of those people are young. A lot of them are aged out. You know, I'm maybe not so young as I once was when I first got into this. Uh, But I think it is much more Gen Xers into this. I think it's a lot more people in their 40s and 50s who are into posting rather than, you know, uh, 2016 where it was all people under 30 who are posting. You know, it's like a lot of college kids. But as it goes on, you know, if all the young people are entirely left wing, you know, especially the young women, and they're able to peer pressure the ones who are not left wing into just acceding to their demands and stuff, then that creates problems because like these, you know, it's now not so much boomers, it's now Gen Xers and Gen Xers are not going to be around forever. And if all the young people have a certain mindset, have a certain mentality, because that's what, you know, the elites have created the society around them. You know, you're just left with old people who are just shaking their fist at the changes going on around them, but they have no ability to change the world that they're, that they're in. And so there is a problem with becoming the party of old people, which is really what right wing politics is now. Even for even for a lot of this and right stuff, it is like a party. It is politics for the middle aged. And um it's not a very youthful, it's not as quite, I mean, there are aspects, there are some factions that are very youthful. I mean, obviously the Grapers are very young. Uh, some others are pretty young. But I think if you're looking at the politics in general, of the larger sphere of it, of, the on, of what's now the online right and what's now the mainstream right, it's still very middle-aged to elderly. One final point I want to make before I conclude this is everyone's like, this is well in a collapse. Your, your soft hands bugman is not going to do well. It's like, nor is the tradesman either. And if you want to look at class, like nobody reads Roman Empire stuff. Actually, or no one fully understands about this. One, we're not heading to a type of collapse that people imagine. You know, we could have a decline in living standards and other things, but it won't be a full collapse. It could be a decline in quality of life, but uh, it won't be a full collapse. I mean, the amount of stuff the Roman Empire survived for 400 years (laughs) prior to the full collapse, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, chaos to go through to reach a full end collapse. But even if we're heading towards a collapse, the type of people who do best are the ones of control who are who are able to band together with other violent uh, predators and to seek power through violence. Because what, collapse means a breakdown in authority. And the people who are going to be in control are those who are capable of violence and are used to violence and are banded with other people who are violent as well. So it's really like gangs and that type of sort are ex-special forces who are able to band together and then prey on the weak who would be there. 
And the type of people who did well in the Roman collapse are were able to manage were wealthy landowners who made deals with the with the with the war bands rolling around, and the war bands. Uh, the people who did not do well are the small time peasants and the people who didn't have much wealth who couldn't bribe their way to the war bands, and those were generally the people enslaved by the war bands and uh, didn't have a nice life under under a collapse. Uh, so if you read Roman history, it wasn't like, oh, wow, it's collapsed. Now the people who have been cleaning out the aqueducts are now in charge. That is, uh, that's not how it worked. And it was not the road builders who uh, controlled the world then. It was just violent gangs and criminals who are the equivalent of violent gangs and criminals today who then were in charge. And then some of the wealthy landlords who were able to buy them off and make deals with them, who were able to maintain somewhat of their status as before. Then that didn't even work because in Britain, you know, some of these wealthy landlords, they brought over the the Anglo-Saxon tribesmen to defend them against Celtic raiders. And then eventually the Anglo-Saxon raiders just got rid of them and took over their land anyway. So it was like uh, they were, it was like they got the Hell's Angels to fight MS-13 and then Hell's Angels just killed them and took their stuff anyway. Uh, so... Uh, it's not a pretty situation. I don't think any money people would do well in a class, regardless of what you're doing, unless you're like in a cartel or um, in a violent street gang of some sort, or in a well-organized violent street gang with charismatic leadership. So, uh, but that's a that's a topic for another day. The other thing is, if like you generally think if you're maybe not going to a Roman Empire class, but you're going to a Brazilification or South Africa, it's like the real thing to do is to build up as much wealth as possible to get away from it. And if you look at the people who are still living nice lives in Brazil and South Africa, they are not the plumbers of their territory. Well, some of you know you do have Irania, which is one ex exception to the rule, which are generally working class tradesmen. You can't, and there's still areas in South Africa that are rural that you can you know, build off your little community, but there could be a day where just blacks come to raid it and kill all of them and there's not much they can do. But outside of that, it's the wealthy people who are able to build up their little compounds in these areas away from the favelas, away from the decline. And if shit hits the fan, they're able to get out of there because of the amount of wealth that they built up. And they did not get this through, you know, the trades. They got this through, you know, accruing a lot of wealth through the standard means of how people acquire wealth in other parts of the world. So it's really just like figure outing ways to make as much money as possible and squirreling it away or being smart about it to ensure that if you know, you're able to have your own little safe space, so to speak, in amidst the chaos and amidst the decline. And if things get really bad, you can flee the country, which is the same with like people in Brazil and South Africa. And so the like the real collapse is not like, oh wow, all these people who've been, you know, investment banking and corporate law are now in terrible danger. Their they their lives are sucked, but it's the poor people out and are not the poor people, the wealthy people who have done tradesmen out in the middle of nowhere who are the ones thriving and likely it wouldn't be. And also those people would suffer as much as anyone else because there'd be fewer job opportunities in a in a class and they may have more poverty happening to them. I mean, it was like the Great Depression. I mean, Great Depression hit the working class really hard. And if you really do have that dire economic standards, you know, and it's like, say your employment depends on a lot of construction and construction just ends, you're not going to have, uh, your economic situation is not going to be great. So that's a lot of things 
uh, to consider, but a, a lot of this is just fantasy. But, you know, back to the larger point is that a lot of our message needs to be about winning over smart young people and making sure these smart young people are doing as much as they can to succeed in the current paradigm in order to be in positions where they can influence and change the world around them. And so some people, you know, maybe trade schools is the best option. But I think the people that we're reaching are not the ones considering seriously considering trade schools. They may be memed into it, but I think a lot of them are very bookish people, middle class, suburban backgrounds. Uh, their aptitude is towards more white collar work. And for a lot of those people, we need to give them messages like work really hard in school, be smart, try to go to the best best school you can that's affordable for you and try to get a degree in something that is useful and can help you build up wealth and help you make uh, a positive change for yourself and for society. And that needs to be the message that we need to deliver. And we also need to have a message in general that's going to win over those smart young people. And I think having this clown show that we're currently that the content farm wants that's very appealing to you know the QAnon types and the boom and the boomers and gen xers is not the type of message we want to deliver it needs to be something smart something practical something that answers people's concerns on the day-to-day -day life but is not totally you know providing just entertainment zone for them it's about trying to say what's true and what's going on in the world not by just seeing about how many retweets we can get and what's more entertaining for people. It's about being realistic, pragmatic, and smart. And I think we can we can do that. And you do need a bit of idealism. As I had an IQ supplement uh, a few weeks ago about the death of idealism on the right, is that you do need a more idealistic message. And right now it's just total cynical messaging about how we can pilfer more money from our audience and how we can dupe them. And a lot of these people don't believe this bullshit. Like Betty Johnson, who's like one of the worst content farmers, who's always talking about like demons and and a lot of these wild conspiracy theories, doesn't believe this shit at all. I, I, I worked with him at the call. He doesn't believe this shit at all. He's just a way of making money. And that's it for a lot of the same of these people involved in this stuff. It's just a way of making money and they view these people as dumb cattle to dupe and and pilfer. And unfortunately, a lot of the cattle just moo along and are happy with that. So that's uh, that would be my message. I do think it, our main issue going forward is how left-wing young people are. And I think a lot of these smart young people are turning away from the right. I don't know if they're going to the left. I think they are being repulsed by the left, but they're not really happy with the right either is because there's just such a clownish and idiotic message from the right that's being proposed now that it does have a degree of popularity due to the different type of audience that is now populating online which is a lot of working well it's a lot of gen xers and boomers who think that everyone should have just gone to trade school instead of college most of them went to college anyway but they uh feel the need to try to own young people and that's like the type of audience now and they dictate a lot of the content, but the content that is being created is very unappealing to smart college-educated whites. And smart college-educated whites, when they look at the Republican Party and they see Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, them not getting shit done in Congress and just doing all these other type of antics, and they see a lot of the people running for office are just like uh, entertainers. And 
you know, if they maybe had a party where it's like just Trump, you know, Trump is just the guy who's like, I'll be the entertainer, but everyone else is going to be serious and about like my policies. They'd be more aligned with that. But unfortunately, you're now just getting the clowns without the politics when you should be getting the politics without the clownery. And uh, I think it'll I think it might I think it will be fixed over time. But I think for the next few years, uh, you know, I think uh, we haven't reached peak clown show. We haven't reached peak insane clown party yet. But unfortunately, that article I wrote about the insane clown party was a little bit too prescient and a little bit too uh, on the mark on about how we can achieve things. So in conclusion, don't be the insane clown party. Be the smart person party. And that is how we will win. Because the only way we can gain power is by building up a counter elite. And the counter elite is not going to be found in the hinterlands working in trades. It's going to be people who are also in these positions competing for power against libs. And going to be in positions where if there are disruptions to the system, they are in a place to take advantage of that and work for good and work for our own side. Like, say... Trump, a Trump second term, they will be there in a position to work these jobs that he's going to need. He's going to be highly competent, highly intelligent people to help him out in a second term. And that's going to be the same for even if someone better comes along to run for president. You're going to need those types of people. Trades is great if you want to go into that, if that's your aptitude. But I think for a lot of our audience, that is not their aptitude or what they would want to do. I think a lot of them would prefer to do something that requires a college education. And yeah, there are a lot of problems with colleges now. There's, a, of course, that. But it still is the ticket to the middle class for most people. And we need to reform colleges rather than retreat from them, which unfortunately, everyone prefers to retreat rather than reform. Now for the Cotton League questions. As a reminder, you too can get the power to ask me questions or suggest guests and topics if you sign up for the Cotton League option at highlyrespected.substack.com. Dot com and make sure to sign up for the IQ supplements while you're there. And so we will start off with Mystery. Mystery has two questions today. His first question is, Scott, any thoughts on how to ensure white identity remains the central focus of the dissident right versus the safer topics that threaten to crowd it out? Can we meme I endorse white identity politics or something as a loyalty pledge of all talking heads are on our side, eventually to include the GOP? And he talks about other ways um, that like stuff like great replacements being mainstream. I think so. I think you could just say... Um, I think the way to ensure that is the comment that Vivek gave at the debate where he's saying that the Great Replacement is not a conspiracy theory. It's the political platform of the Democrats. I think having Republicans and conservative commentators just say that is a good litmus test for people. And that is essentially once you say Great Replacement, because that that includes anti-white replacement and mass immigration, affirmative action, that includes everything. And just having them saying it's not a conspiracy theory, it's the political platform of the left or political platform of the Democratic Party, that's all you really need to do. And I think that's a way to keep the central focus on identity issues as a central thing. And I think it's for that, you really just have to emphasize immigration, anti-white racism, critical race theory, you know, the erasure of our heritage. That's the stuff we really just need to push people to endorse and to say. And that's really what gets us excited. I think a lot of times we get distracted by so many other issues because of the content farm and uh, all the agricultural products produced by it that we sometimes uh, lose sight of that. But I think if we 
as I said, if we become more the smart person party rather than the insane clown party, I think we can remain focused on what really matters the most. And so that's his first question. And his second question is, is unrelated question, any advice for us normies working respectable corporate jobs on how to help the cause? I'll join the local Trump team, but I'm also in a deep blue area. If he wins and needs the help of nobody poster like me, I'm ready to be Trump's top guy, but I don't know how. Or that's all covered by an army of lawyers or whoever. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to help out the cause when he becomes president because they're going to be needing a lot of people like that who have these credentials, who want to go work in the administration. It's just, you know, heritage. I don't know how much heritage projects, uh, it's like Project 25. They're going to have some influence on the administration and who gets a lot of these staffer roles. And if you would like to work in the administration, I think applying for that would be a great way to, you know, when he gets a second term, to be in a position to, you know, make positive change in the world. But I think helping out with the local Trump campaign uh, getting involved in your local Republicans, even if you're in a deep blue area, it helps you connect with other people and it helps you keep get involved with that stuff and make those connections that if there is like a position opening that you can make a positive change in like government or in politics, you're there to be, you're there to make that opportunity real. So I think that would be the short answer to that. But we've got a lot of other questions today. This one is from Jay, and he asks, Scott, have you seen the headline, which is comes from the Mystery Grove Substack about, should Scott Greer be arrested and executed? When is the trial? Is this country safe for Greer heads? Don't you think Mystery Grove voice sounds like Joe Biden? Yes, uh, I, he does use that voice modulator that's like that. Uh, I don't know when the trial is, but I fully oppose it. I plan to plead not guilty in the trial. Now, it was a good article. It's basically saying I'm right. So obviously, I'm going to love that article, and it was about the arguments that I made today about the rural lights and going to college and retreating from a life and just pretending that this is how we're going to gain power. So it's a very good article. Um, uh, he used a salacious headline in order to, to draw in the audience. But uh, I think I'm, my answer to the headline is going to be no, but you should read it anyway. So it's a good article. So we have got that down. Now we're going to go with KMAX's two questions. First, first question is, your view of Ronald Reagan and his legacy and how it is especially twisted by the current media and GOP. I often hear liberals use Reagan as an attack on Trump. Even Reagan wanted more immigration, they say. What was Reagan's true legacy in terms of where we are today? He was called this huge racist by the left back then, but now touted as the liberal anti-Trump. What is your view and truth about Reagan? Reagan was mostly kind of cringe, but there was there were good things about Reagan. Reagan definitely... Under, or people around him wanted to really curtail the civil rights regime and to work to break it down. It really was a matter. This is one thing that politics has changed is that the political will to change the civil rights regime was not there in Republicans. It was there among the conservative legal field, but elected Republicans were not really down for it yet. And there was even like Strom Thurmond was voting for some of the stuff that they needed to get rid of in the 80s. So it was very difficult for Reagan to push forward his agenda, but he was at least aware of that one issue. And on generally a foreign policy, even though I wasn't, I more prefer the detente of Nixon rather than the more aggressive policy of Reagan. Reagan eventually settled into a sort of semi-detente, but he was also backing a lot of these right-wing governments in Latin America he was backing South Africa uh, against much public pressure 
So you have to appreciate that. But otherwise, his rhetoric was really the type of conservatism that we need to bury about. Like, it's a shining city on a hill. And everyone can come be- can become American. And his boosterism of immigration and other things, it makes him uh, not quite worthy veneration. It is really bad how he's just been kept around. It's like hardly any American, you know, very few Americans, uh, young Americans, you'd really have to be in your, you'd have to be over 60 now to have voted for Reagan in his first, and for his first term. And you, it, for his second term, you'd have had to turn 18 in 1984. So you'd have to be born in 1966. So those would be the youngest people who would have been able to vote for Reagan. And those people would be 67, or not, not 67, 57. We're getting our math mixed up. So the youngest person who would have voted for Reagan is 57 years old right now. This is like, there's very few candidate or political figures who maintain this type of resonance among voters for that length of time. And it's just that maybe a lot of these older people are lasting longer or that conservatives don't really have a figure to replace them. And they have this cult of personality that they built up in the, in the nineties and two thousands, and they really don't want to ditch it. And any time that they want to claim that there's something, they're like, I'm a Reagan Republican. And, but at the same time, it's becoming more and more irrelevant. It was irrelevant back when I was in college. Cause at that time, you know, uh, it was, you know, he had no longer been president for over 20 years. Now it's over 30 years and still people are still obsessed with Reagan and his legacy and thinking he was the greatest thing since sliced bread when he wasn't. I mean, Democrats didn't have this relationship with uh, and this reverence for FDR in the 80s as Republicans do now, even into the 2020s with Reagan, you know, in there's only 40 year difference between those respective periods, but it's just very odd. I think it's a part of just how Con Inc. had been built and developed and they had built and developed around Reagan as this uh, savior figure, this Messiah figure, and they haven't really moved on from it. And a lot of these boomers and Gen Xers who've been around in conservatism for years still have this you know, knee jerk Reaganism. But I think among younger people, especially Zoomers, there's like no reverence or relevance to Reagan. And it's just very old for uh, old style for people to be talking like Ronald Reagan would do this. Ronald Reagan would do that. And people are like, who gives a shit about Ronald Reagan? So his legacy is diminishing in part. And I think that's a part of right moving in a better direction and ditching a lot of the cringe of the past. His second question from KMAX is TPUSA held an event. He was saying he uses in the future tense, held an event uh, last weekend um, called America Fest. It will combine Charlie Kirk with some people closer to our side and views. In your view, Scott, is this the smarter way to do political activism? Uh, work within Ch- Connick to change views rather than set up some separate entity against Connick? Yeah, well, it just depends on what you're trying to do. I, I would have to say is that Charlie Kirk and TPUSA are more right-wing today because of the Great War. And that was something outside of conservatism. And there was a lot of pressure and animosity towards the Great War when it was happening. But then they adopted most of the positions from the Great War. 
Uh, I mean, Charlie Kirk talks about anti-white racism and great replacement all the time and and, and the Jewish uh, role in politics. So he's really kind of just like accepting all the great war stuff. So when we're seeing about how like all the good stuff that are coming from TPUSA, you have to remember that this is all coming from great wars, which was an outside um, outside movement uh, pressure. It was an outside pressure campaign against uh, Turning Point USA. And that's what made them a lot better. And so I don't know. There's still some weaknesses with Turning Point USA. Um, I always say you have to work within the normal political sphere of what is some conic institutions aren't even worth going through. But even when I was like saying this question of mystery is like you're still if you're wanting a job in the in the Trump administration, you're still going to have to go through Heritage, which are one of these groups, which they're now much better. But you're still having to rely on some of those institutional frameworks. But a lot of it is just this pressure that's been building up against them about the changing leadership within Republican Party and conservatism that's changed it. And we now have, you know, Charlie Kirk of 2016 or Charlie Kirk of 2023, who is like <laughs> largely good on most issues. And so this is a positive effect of that resulted from the group or an outside pressure campaign. Um, do I think it's the America Fest is maybe the best way to do pol political activism? Well, it's not quite political activism. It's just um, it's just a conference. But now it's a bigger conference. You could argue that it's a bigger conference, a more important conference than CPAC. It's displaced CPAC. And CPAC was, you know, some people might say this is a sign of the growing clownishness of the Republican Party. But CPAC was a clown show. The problem with CPAC's clown show is that it was all about tax cuts. It was like clowns for tax cuts. Well, TPSA, there's a little bit of a tax uh, clownishness, you know, but it's better. It's clowns against the great replacement, which is a much better improvement. And I don't, I don't want to say it's as clownish because the type of people at, at CPAC were all these old boomers. And then you see the types at America Fest and it's all young people. And so that's uh, you have a better crowd there. And, and I bet a lot of that crowd is much more right wing than even Charlie Kirk or would uh, Charlie Kirk maybe allow. But. I think if you're looking for like things to get involved with on your college campus, you know, I think starting a TPUSA chapter, you know, might be the best way to go about this. And then you can go and do your own type of activism that's dealing with the identity issues. And, you know, maybe you're following people that are not TPUSA approved, but maybe you now have a lot more freedom to work within those type of groups to focus on dissident right issues than you would have in 2019. And this is due to result of the activism that came from outside of TPUSA against them. So it, it depends on the circumstances. I think that there's now just a lot more opportunities to work within conservative movement and Republican Party. And even if you have our views, you're less likely to be purged than you were in my time. In my time, you had to keep your views very silent. You're like, they say some notable person like i don't know who that is. It's like that person's a racist. So obviously, I don't know who that person is. Now you can just uh, be in these groups, share, you know, openly talk about the Great Replacement, anti-white racism, um, talk maybe even share like Jared Taylor clips with these people, and you probably wouldn't have to worry as much about getting purged. And you might even get promoted uh, through sharing these views. So there's just a lot more opportunities now than there were a few years ago. So if it works for in your situation, then yeah, I think starting a TPUSA chapter and then running it in the way you want to run it 
you know, that might be independent of how leadership is telling you to do that. You now have those opportunities to do that. So uh, always be pragmatic when it comes to this stuff. Now we got a question from John. John asks, what are your thoughts on the American conservative? I've read it on and off since I was in high school many years ago. While it does have some terrible people at it, like so Rob Amari, well, he only occasionally writes articles. I need to say that. It does seem to reflect the sort of trend that gentlemen like us want to see conservatives go in. As a funny, quick anecdote, Amari recently blocked me on Twitter because I commented on one of his cringe Papistal Inc. tweets, how ridiculous it is that he claims to be anti-liberal, yet he essentially agrees with the left on the issue of race. Amari aside, I may be giving the good parts of TAC too much credit. Curious to hear your thoughts. And if not good, what are some of the good alternatives? I mean, it, you know, there's it's publishing better articles than it did. Well, it's like Turning Point. It's better now than it was in 2019. But it still has a, it, it's it's catching up to what dissident right politics were or should have been. A few years ago and now it's up there but there's like still like helen andrews always writes great articles and there are a few other people who have some good articles but it still has like some very cringe aspects it's still in this localist and when i'm going to use paleocon it's not paleocon and how we say this but it's a kind of paleocon a harmless type of paleocon it's a paleocon that doesn't talk about race it doesn't talk about the identity issues it just talks about like how we need to have a front porch republic and localism is the answer. And then it has this type of fantastical reading of the white working classes, them being the same that they were in the 1950s and other type of things. But as far as magazine goes, I think it's the most it's the magazine most likely to post publish someone with our views, advocating our views more than National Review more than Washington Examiner, more than Daily Caller, more than even Breitbart. But at the same time, there's still a lot of cringe. But I, it, it's really a lot of these paleocon types. And once again, I'm using this different from the way that America First people use it in a way. Paleocon's a very broad term. I don't really, I'm fine with like other terms being called. Like I'm even fine with being called conservative. I'm fine with being called nationalist, identitarian, right-winger. I really don't like being called paleocon because when I think of paleocon, I think of this website front porch republic and i just think about these hokey people like talking about like uh sipping my sweet tea on my little front porch and this is all i'm about and uh, i have plenty of black friends and it's all about our local town you know that's not what i'm about and a lot of these types were extremely anti-trump throughout his presidency the funniest american conservative article was when they did an a they surveyed their writers and contributors about who they were voting for. Trump was not the number one pick. You know what the number one pick was? It's this goofball party, American Solidarity Party, which is pretty much only voted for by American conservative contributors. It's a pro-life social democratic party. So it's obviously what so Rob Amari and others. And it's such a joke. It's a bigger joke than even these uh, Wignat third parties. Because it doesn't do anything. But all these serious people who are writers for and get published by big publications like American Solidarity Party is going places. And all these people are like, we're voting for American Solidarity Party. And I'm like, what? You know, there's only there's only two real options. And it's Trump and it's Biden. And some people gave these long, tortured answers about why they, they can't vote for Trump or why they're reluctantly voting for Trump. There was nobody like, obviously Trump's the best. Per-. There was a, only just a handful that were like, obviously Trump's the best. I'm voting for Trump. And prior to 2020, they didn't have any 
I mean, none of their staffers had actually voted for Trump. And when I, I briefly applied, I one time applied for a job there a long time ago, 2017, actually. I'll tell it. People like the Greer lore. I haven't really told about this Greer lore. But I applied for a managing editor position there in 2017. I, my book had just come out. And, you know, I thought I might be too right wing for them. And I was correct. And the reason why they were upset is because Milo had done the uh, the introduction uh, uh, to my book. And it's something at that time, and Milo had a different, very different reputation in early 2017. You know, he was still accepted in large parts of conservatism, but they felt that Milo was just too far for them to even accept. And it's like, if they thought Milo's too far, then obviously it was probably not going to be a good fit at the American conservative. But at that time, and like the... Before, like, Amariism became a thing in 2019, they had no staffers who had voted for Trump. They had all voted, you know, third party or Biden, or not Biden, but Hillary Clinton. And in 2020, they were revealing that still at that time, they were, not even half of them were voting for Trump. So it's improved a lot, and it does have a space for a lot of our ideas. And there are some very good writers over there, like Helen Andrews, but there's a lot of cringe aspects to American conservative. It can improve a lot. Um, over time, and I think it, I think it will. But a lot of these paleocon publications, they really miss their moment to provide an intellectual core for Trumpism, and we really are suffering through the results of that because then in 2019 there was all these people like Yoram Hazoni, Sorab, who all were Johnny Come Latelys, are extremely anti-Trump, like Sorab, and didn't really understand fully Trumpism and wanted to ditch the identity issues. And then they came in and like, we're intellectual Trumpists. And then they set the tone and no identity issues allowed, no distant right people allowed. It's just these people who are setting the tone. And a lot of that was due to the failure to build up a, a fairly respectable or mainstream friendly dissident right that could have been there in 2016 on 2017 on the ground floor, setting up the intellectual side of Trumpism. And... Due to that failure, we're now uh, suffering through the consequences of these post-liberal idiots who still glom on to Trump or the new moment or claim that this is what was unleashed by Trump, which it's not. And then you just have the clown show getting worse. And so there are some faults there. But American conservative, um, mostly positive now. But if you'd asked me in 2019, uh, 2020, it would been a lot. It would have been a lot more negative. But it's been proved over the years. So that is that question. And now we have Dollar Bill. And he's like, I'm curious what the relations were between America and Britain were like in the years immediately after the Revolutionary War. Did the foreign policy of Washington's presidency regard Britain with suspicion and distrust over things like the Boston Massacre and British agents reciting, uh, inciting Indian tribes to attack American settlers? Or was it more willing to let bygones be bygones now that America was no longer under British rule? Well, it was actually a fierce battle uh, between the founders over Britain. And some of them, you know, were letting bygones bygones and become trading partners and with Britain. But there were a lot of very anti, there was a lot of what we could be called anglophobia uh, among the founders. Probably rightfully so. More Thomas Jefferson and his, the Democratic Republicans were very, very anti-British, you know, and they, and during the Revolutionary, or French Revolutionary War, and then later the Napoleonic Wars, they were much more pro-French than they were pro-British, while the Hamilton side 
And a lot of the Federalists were much more pro-British, anti-French. And there was a huge battle over that. But there was a lot of tense relations with the British. There were numerous times in the 1790s and 1800s where we nearly came to war with both Britain and France. And so it was not a uh, friendly relationship. And obviously this erupted into the War of 1812, which was built up over the idea that the British are siding with a lot of these Indians against us. And they're trying to restrict us going outward into further lands. And also they felt that Canada was a threat to us, uh, them holding Canada. And so, and they also didn't like how Britain was intercepting our ships and kidnapping our sailors. And that was a huge problem. So it was a very tense relationship, but there were people who were advocating for, you know, friendlier ties with the British, primarily Hamilton and the Federalists. And the Democratic Republicans and Jeffersonians were much more anti-Britain uh, than they uh, than the the Federalists were, and there was this battle over it. And then eventually, the Jeffersonian, uh, the Democratic Republicans triumphed in the War of eighteen twelve. But New England was not happy with this. New England considered secession over. Uh, many New England leaders considered secession over the War of 1812 because they wanted to maintain trade with the British and they didn't like that we we're having a war with Britain and they didn't really care about westward expansion that much, which the South and the West were more interested in. And um, so there were still battles. But even, even after War of 1812, we still had very tense relations with the British up until really the late 19th century when our special relationship was forged. And... Uh, by the time of World War One, it was you know totally bygones, by let be bygones. But there was still, I mean, it obviously in the Civil War during you know there was a lot of tension over the British possibly coming to the aid of the Confederacy. There was a lot of tension in, leading up to the Civil War. A lot of it coming from the South who resented this the Great Britain as the uh, great anti-slave power in the world. So yeah, it was. Um, Generally, if I had to say what was the relations with between America and Britain, not very good. But people were working on having better relations. But eventually, those uh, that didn't work out <laughs> as seen by the War of 1812, uh, which happened only 30 years after the end of the Revolutionary War. So clearly, uh, clearly a lot of tensions <laughs> between the two nations in the immediate years after the Revolutionary War. So that is that. And I think we're down to our last question. And this last question comes from our favorite. Or not our favorite, but one of our, our favorite. One of our favorites. New England refugee saying, Merry Christmas. What are your thoughts on Lee Kuan Yew and Pinochet? Both non-white Chilean. Well, Pinochet was white. I, don't, I would not call him non-white. Chileans, most of them are white. It's like the same with Argentinians and a lot of Brazilians too. Um, you know, there's a lot of South Americans that would just claim as white. They only claim to be non-white when they come to America and they're trying to get into elite schools. Uh, is there anything we could take away from them and overall thoughts? Um, there's a little bit, but probably not as much because they're operating in very different countries than ours. Singapore is an incredibly different country than ours. It's a tiny, it's a, essentially a tiny little city that exists as a major finance hub or major hub of global trade. Um, America is much, much more than that. It's much more than just a tiny little city. And the way he was able to rule it is something that's very unique 
to Singapore. I don't think it's something that we can replicate here. And it's the same with Pinochet. I mean, Pinochet, uh, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't trust our military to overthrow a libtard government. I would think that they, I, <laughs> it'd be more likely our military to overthrow a right-wing government. And, you know, some of the policies implemented is like, it, you know, we're influenced by Milton Friedman and this like radical free trade stuff. And I don't think a lot of people would be as excited about it. I think Pinochet was still good, but I don't think it's creates quite the model for us. But all, overall, it's like when people are like pro Pinochet and pro Lee Kuan Yew, I just, it's just a way of signaling that we like right wing leaders. And they said interesting stuff and did interesting stuff, but there's not much we can replicate from what they did in the past. So that is my answer to that question. And I think that is it for all of our questions this week. And so that is what that is it for highly respected this week. We are going to have we are not going to have another great episode next week because it's going to be Merry Christmas. It's going to be Christmas on Monday. So we are going to take the week off from highly respected. We should have an IQ supplement that's unlocked that I will answer most of the um, kind of leak questions. If we have a lot, I might save them just for New Year's. We are going to have an episode on New Year's Day. So we are taking off one holiday while going to work on another holiday while everyone's off. And so it may be a year in review either Thursday for the unlocked unlocked IQ supplement or we'll have a year in review and looking forward to the future on that Monday for the regular highly respected. So no highly respected next week. Uh, sorry to say, I, there's not going to be a Christmas present of highly respected. Some people may want that, but we're not going to have that. But it, for with that in mind, we're going to have more great content later this week to make up for the missing highly respected episode. And I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll probably, I'll probably get to wish you guys a Happy New Year next week with our Unlocked IQ supplement. But for those who don't listen, I want to wish you a Happy New Year anyway. So that is it for highly respected today. So until next time, stay respected.